back on the Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590. The Fan, Blue Jays off today. A rare off day. They're going to keep cooking here, and the schedule is pretty busy until the All-Star break uh, before they're back at home tomorrow against the Milwaukee Brewers for your favorite Looney Dog night. Um, we got to talk to the other half of Blair and Barker last week, so it's just due time that we talked to Jeff Blair, Sportsnet.ca columnist and co-host of Blair and Barker. Blair, how's it going this morning? It's going well, thank you. Equal opportunity, I guess, yes, or yeah. equal blame, however <laughs> yeah. you want to look at it. Share the wealth, make sure everybody gets a chance. Um, how there are you, you liking the new, the new time slot of Blair and Barker? Uh, it's, well, it reminds me of one of the other time slots <laughs> I had at yes. one point, how many years ago it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, it's it's actually, it it's great as long as the weather's good. It means I can spend time in the backyard before I go into the office, so that's always good. We um, had uh, Barker on at 7 a.m., so uh, we felt bad because he didn't have to get up that early, so we pushed it to 8 for you. <laughs> yeah, once you get to a certain age, you rise early regardless of what time your work is. That's just the way it is. Uh, so it's been a little bit of a whirlwind, I think, since we last talked. Uh, Jays got their first series win in two weeks. Lots of bad baseball in between. But uh, nonetheless, uh, a win in this last series. Like, where are you at the just overall state of the Blue Jays when you try to break down the last two weeks in general? Uh Yes. <laughs> Or meh uh, is where I am uh, with them. You know, look, I know I, I keep hearing you know, people say, well, they're in last place in the best division in baseball, and if you put them in the central, they'd be in first place. And it, that doesn't really matter. If you're a team that uh, has aspirations of winning the World Series, you should be able to win in any division, or at least be near the top of any division. I mean, I, I don't think there's any other way you can describe this year, uh, so far at least, and we're what, we're we're third of the way through. I think they're 28 and 26. Um, it's been a colossal disappointment. And, uh, I mean, it, you know, the division's gone. Uh, they're not going to win the division 10 games back uh, with – you know, no head-to-head against two of the teams in front of them until the end of uh, until the end of September. So it's a little early to be talking wild card. Uh, the All Star Game still a month away, but mm-hmm. that's kind of where we are with this team. I think the the best case scenario for this team right now is you you focus on the wild card, and um, the schedule is going to do them no favors. I know every. You know, everybody, when the schedule first came out, every everybody was saying, or a lot of people were saying, oh, it's going to be great. We have fewer games in the division and more games against some of the easier teams, et cetera, et cetera. That doesn't work when you get buried in your division. Mm-hmm. You want, especially if you have aspirations of being a good team, you want games against the team in your division. And, you know, un- unfortunately, I think the schedule's almost run out for the Blue Jays right now, and that's that's not good. It's definitely not a silver lining because, you know, if you're in the AL Central, great. You go to the playoffs, uh, win that division, you feel really good about yourself. You maybe fancy yourself as a World Series contender. But I I think this division has poked some holes into this organization and into this roster in a way where maybe they're addressed. And if you were in the AL Central and you were comfortably in playoff position, maybe you'd be blind to those issues. Uh, You know, I, I still expect this team to go on a playoff hunt to push, to push, to push, and to maybe get there in the end. But if this team is still slapped with this dose of reality leading into the trade deadline, do you see a scenario where they switch gears and go the opposite route uh, in order to look ahead? I, they should. Um, it, you know, it's I, I don't know. 
be when you've got ownership that's spent as much money on this payroll as this ownership group has this year uh that that is kind of a it's kind of a dramatic dramatic departure right uh but i i guess the issue i'd have is absent matt chapman you really at least off the major league roster there's there's really nobody that is really going to get you much of anything that's going to help you build for the long term. Uh, and and the, the problem with Matt Chapman is Matt Chapman is a year away from free agency. Or if you were to trade Matt Chapman at the deadline, he'd be, what, five months away from free agency, six months away from free agency. You're not getting a top prospect for that. You're, you're just not. The history of trade deadline trade suggests that if you are trading a someone who is going to be a free agent in the near future, you're probably going to get someone else's 15th to 20th best prospect, or maybe their their 10th to 15th best prospect. In some instances, you might get more than that, but I don't think anybody, any contending team that trades for Matt Chapman is going to look at him as the bat that puts you over the top. They're going to be looking at getting a quality defender. And more to the point, if you look at teams that are contending right now, ask yourself which of those teams could use a third baseman. And a lot of them have third basemen. A lot of them have really good third basemen. That's why they're in first place, or that's why in the they're in the playoff spot right now. So George Springer's contract, oof, probably can't trade that without buying out a big chunk of it, and I'm not there yet with George Springer. I mean, maybe Kevin Kiermaier gets you something. Um, no. You know, you're not trading Bo. <laughs> you're not trading Bo. You're not trading Vladdy. I mean, I, who the hell knows with Alejandro Kirk? I don't know what his value is now. So I guess what I'm saying is, I don't know if you can change your approach with this with this team right now. And the thing that's kind of frustrating is the pitching by and large, especially the starting pitching, has been really good. Like you've ticked all the boxes. You know, Chris Bassett's recent start notwithstanding. You've ticked all the boxes with this rotation, of course, with the exception of Alec Manoa. But you know what? With with Jose Barrios pitching the way he is and Kevin Gossman pitching the way he is and Chris Bassett pitching the way he is, yeah, right now, uh, right now Alec Manoa is your, your fourth best starter. He's your number four starter. Kikuchi, he's doing Kikuchi things, which is kind of what a number five starter should do. So the starting pitching has actually been on balance pretty good certainly good enough to win it's just they're not getting anything out of vladdy and they are playing dumb Mm -hmm. i mean i dumb baseball they are playing head up but um it's the first week of april baseball right now when you watch them on the base paths and that that is something that i never thought i'd see from this team i just that more than anything else watching these dudes on the bases watching the mistakes they make, um, you know, uh, hitting approaches, that's one thing. Striking out, going on a run where you can't get anything to hit or you're not hitting anything, that happens. There's no excuse for the type of, of, of sloppiness we've seen from this team. And it's top, it's top to bottom pretty much, with maybe the exception of Bo. Specifically because they were preaching fundamentals all preseason, talking about how they're going to be more serious. Attention to detail. Yeah. Remember how many times oh, we know. heard attention to detail? Uh, I remember. We we were pumped up about it. Wow, they're going to be so attention to detail oriented and they're going to be so serious. But you're right. The kind of boneheaded decisions and, and errors are uh, just a kind of a, a, a frustrating aspect that we've seen. And that's been consistent. Um, 
I want to present something to you that John Morosi told us on Friday uh, that resonated with us all weekend, and it kind of aligns with where you're going about what's direction for this team. He said, maybe the window has closed before it even opened for the Toronto Blue Jays. If you look at the way the season has started, and as you mentioned, what's in the cupboards or lack of what's in the cupboards in terms of trade chips and maybe uh, every factor of the stars not shining so far, you kind of agree with that statement? Well, you've, I mean, you've got what? Are we at, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to do some rough math in my head. What is this, Vladdy's fourth year? Uh, I mean, I think you're at the halfway point with your two best players mm-hmm. in terms of the, before they reach free agency. Uh, you're at it or, or a little past it. Uh, yeah, I, I think John's absolutely right. I mean, I wouldn't say the window has closed, but once you get, I would suggest once you get on the other side of three or four years for players like Vladdy or, or Bo, players that can, I think we can agree there's at least a 50% chance they won't be back. I, I think we, we're, mm. we're, we're safe in that. Yeah, I, I, I would say the window, the window is sort of gradually being pulled down here, I guess is the way I put it. And there's another factor here that is creeping into the discussion and it's something people need to be aware of and i'm sure they're aware of but they're not only are the jays not the team of the present in the al east they're not the team of the future Mm -hmm. in the al east that is very clearly that's very clearly the baltimore orioles there's no comparison in terms of minor league depth in terms of quality players who are going to be able to come up and make an impact there there just isn't and and that's concerning as in in some ways as much as anything so yeah i'd 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 go with i'd go with john the only caveat i'd throw in there is again getting back to ownership and this is a credit to mark shapiro is ownership has shown that it will spend money and i don't think all right let me rephrase that if something were to happen where the Jays needed to reset and suddenly found themselves in a position to win, ownership would spend money to put them over the top. That's the one kind of caveat to the whole window of opportunity thing is for the first time in a while, uh, there's no doubt that ownership will go out and spend whatever it takes to win. So Perhaps you can push the window up a little bit. You know, maybe the, they get hot. Maybe I don't know. Maybe a Relvis Martinez shows up, or Addison Barger shows up next year, and and you know they're good. And you lose Matt Chapman, you go out and sign a free agent. I, that's the thing that that kind of gives me hope right now is that ownership has demonstrated that it will spend to the luxury tax in order to put a team in the field, and that's something we haven't seen in Toronto since '93. We're talking to Jeff Blair, co-host of Blair and Barker, of course. Um, you mentioned Alec Manoa. It looks like he's uh, lined up to start on Wednesday. Um, would he be the biggest point of individual player concern that you have right now? I, I think that's probably uh, a yes. And if so, um, I, I caught the John Schneider interview on Blair and Barker, which was great and very honest, um, saying that it's not on the table, that maybe he skips a start or heads down to AAA. Um, are you in the camp that that would be the right move, uh, depending on how Wednesday goes? Uh, yeah, you're right about it being, you know, the biggest concern, the biggest checkpoint. Look, Vladdy, I understand Vladdy hasn't hit a home run at home this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, the production isn't what you'd want it, want it to be in terms of run runs batted in and things of that nature. But there are enough there are enough underlying analytical 
suggestions to Vladdy's game that make you think that at some point it will turn around. So that's, I'm, you know, I, I think you can say that with a certain amount of confidence. Uh, Alec Mano, I just don't know. Um, the, the quality of stuff isn't, you know, people, I, I, it drives me nuts because all I hear is he said great side sessions. He said great side sessions. He's looked good. <laughs> Finally, we've stopped. We've stopped talking about that uh, because he hasn't been able to carry it over to the game. I Listen, I, I think whatever is ailing Alec Manoa, and I think conditioning is a part of it. Um, I think people are scared to talk about that, but I, conditioning to me is a part of it, and it's kind of what you hear when you when you talk to people around the team. My concern with Alec Manoa is that what ails him is fixable, but it isn't going to be fixable until the off season. And I don't think I I don't think sending him down to AAA accomplishes anything. Like people need to move off this comparison between him and Roy Halladay mm. for a variety of reasons. With Roy Halladay was sent down. He wasn't sent down to AAA. He was sent down to the low minors to completely rework himself as a pitcher. That's not the case with Alec Manoa, right? Roy Halladay, they literally broke Roy Halladay down, said, son, this is a baseball. This is your right hand. This is how you hold it when you throw a fast. <laughs> they, they literally... They literally did that with Roy Halladay, and he was not at the stage of his career that Alec Manoa was at the time that decision was wait- was made. And more to the point, I don't think expectations for that team are what they are for Alec Manoa. So my guess is he spends all year here. I think at some point, and I don't pretend to know how they do this, at, at, at some point I think you need to get another starting pitcher in here. You need to figure out a way to make sure that Kevin Gossman pitches on an extra day's rest as often as possible. To me, the rotation, the whole point of this rotation right now is what do we do to get Kevin Gossman that extra day when he's so good? What do we do to set up Kevin Gossman to have success? You you know now that Jose Barrios is going to give you what he's going to give you, which is fine. This is the Jose Barrios you used to seeing. He's going to give up earned runs, but he's going to take the ball every fifth day and when Jose Barrios comes out of the game, for the most part, you're going to say, okay, I, guy gave me whatever he had in the tank. Um, so, I, But I don't pretend to know how they go about getting that starting pitcher. And it doesn't have to be an ace. Somebody that can come in and give you four and two-thirds or five innings, just enough that you can do some planning so you give Kevin Gossman that extra day as much as possible. But, I mean, it's not Mitch White. He's on the IL. There's... No starter at AAA who you'd want anywhere near your team. Uh, Ricky Tiedemann, I, don't, I haven't even, I, I haven't, frankly, I've kind of lost touch with what Ricky Tiedemann's doing. I think he's still hurt. I don't know. Um, but he's so far off the, you know, off the radar right now. The, the silver lining, if there is one, is you should get Hyunjin Ryu back at some point. Now, it's it's interesting. I've been told that he is behind Chad Green. I noticed during the trip to Tampa when both Green and Ryu showed up for their bullpen sessions, you started hearing more and more optimism about Ryu. I think if the Jays are honest with themselves, they're probably not going to have Ryu until maybe the second or third week of August. So that will help when we get to August and September. But I think it's imperative that Jays figure out a way right now to to try to bake in that extra off day 
for Kevin Gossman, who's just a, a different pitcher when he when he has that off day. Jeff Blair of Blair and Barker on the line. So Bo Bichette's been brilliant. He's been worth two and a half wins, according to Fangraph's war. Uh, he's four and a half all of last season. Feels like that's underselling a little bit, two and a half, given how important he's been to this team this year. Um, but I wonder, looking at, you know, last year, a couple seasons previous, his break-in at the major league level, in what ways is he a better player now than he was? Uh, yeah, I. That's hard to say. I mean, when when he first broke in, you know, it was interesting because the more you saw of Bo, and, and especially once the Jays moved out of uh, playing in Buffalo and Dunedin and moved into major league ballparks, the more you saw of Bo, the more you saw of Vladdy. I think you began kind of the debate or the comparison between the two kind of shifted. Like We know what Bo's weakness is. He is never going to win a gold glove at shortstop. Vladdy's already won a gold glove at first base. If if we can just accept that, right? if we can just accept that, and I know there are people out there who won't, but if we can just accept that, in terms of where they are as hitters now, I'm not surprised that Bo is where he is because you started to hear when they moved out of COVID and when they moved into a legit major league park, you started to hear people talk about, you know, this guy could possibly win batting title at some point. He doesn't walk a lot, and it's hard to hit your way to a bat. It sounds odd, but it's hard to hit your way to a batting title. You've got to draw a certain number of bases and balls to keep your average up. So I'm not surprised at what I've seen from him. I still think, I still think he can. Th- there's another level there. Uh, he's obviously a terrific athlete, and I think maybe that's where this this kind of the discussion about Bo versus Vladdy has separated. Is that when you watch Vladdy at the plate, all those old sort of worries about his size, and you know, is is he? Is he going to be able to maintain his strength strength throughout the year the way uh, the way Bo does? You start to think more and more of those of those issues. Um, so yeah, listen, I said at the start of the year, I still believe this best lineup has Bo hitting in the cleanup spot because he's 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 the only guy I want up at the plate right now with a runner in scoring position. There's I don't think there's anybody else in that team. Uh, that I would want up the plate with a runner in scoring position right now. I I don't pretend, I don't know how you do that, given the way the lineup is constructed. If Kevin Kiermeyer's hurt, I don't think there's any way you can do it because the logical move would be Kiermeyer up into the number two spot uh, or Varsho into the number two spot and Bo into the cleanup spot. But uh, Bo is, um, yeah, it's that, that debate, Bo versus Vladdy, who would you rather sign long-term if you could? I think that's kind of been turned on its head a little bit. And that's, you know, that's that's credit to Bo because mm-hmm. he has he has become one of the one of the best hitters in baseball. Yeah, leading the the league in hits and multi-game hits. He's just doing it all um and even quietly I think cuz we've been 
able to find lots of negatives to talk about, but it's good that Bo has been maybe quietly holding together this team. I thought uh, we talked about it before we brought you on about some even some leadership that looked like he was starting to, to lean into that a bit more, looking like he's uh, been more of a positive voice on that team, but also it's easy to feel positive when you're playing well. So that's uh, exactly. that's part of it. Um, you mentioned Dalton Varsho. It was kind of a, a weekend um, around him, both the ups and the downs, the roller coaster that has been his last week or so. Um, we talked about how sometimes it's difficult to evaluate him without thinking about the trade and all the package and such, but just in terms of his performance and what he's brought to this team so far, are you kind of riding the Dalton Varshall roller coaster as well? Uh, I don't know if I'd say I'm riding. It's kind of what I expected. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I didn't. Ex- I never expect to see uh, you know a guy. Uh, I never expect to see a guy shot put a ball over the wall and create a home run. <laughs> um, but this is offensively. I mean, he's he's a guy who was going to strike out a lot and hit some home runs. He's kind of been what I thought he'd be, and I think you know when this team is hitting on all cylinders, he's probably your number seven hitter playing great defense for you uh, in in the outfield. So I'm not – nothing I've seen from him really, really surprises me. His, his approach, he's awfully easy to pitch to, which is a little bit concerning. And he's still pretty young, but he's awfully easy to pitch to, and you're seeing teams in the American League take advantage of that with him and that's obviously cut into his effectiveness but he's he's just a he's a really good he's a really good defender and he's a guy who has a place on a winning team i'm just not certain it's third fourth fifth in the lineup right i mean his place on a winning team would be by just be a guy in the bottom of the order who's going to contribute and play terrific defense for me in in right field and center field, and and I'm happy if I get that. And I know Jays fans look at the trade with Arizona. There's two things to consider. You know, one, Gabriel Moreno wasn't going to get the playing time here that he's getting in Arizona. Two, he's still not hitting home runs, and you got to hit home runs. I I think to, I mean to 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 play in the American League East, you've got to be able to hit home runs. And 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 thirdly. Um, the Jays had nobody and have nobody in their minor league system who is capable of giving you what Dalton Varsho gives you defensively. Like I, you know, I will go, I will go to my grave thinking that that is one of those trades that you had to make if you're the Blue Jays and you think you have a chance of doing something other than being, you know, wild card roadkill in the playoffs. You've got to make a trade to bring in a guy like that. So um, that that's the way I look at it. I understand. You know, Gabriel Moreno uh, was the top prospect, and people get their panties in a knot when it comes to top top prospects and trading them. But I, I still think that was a thoroughly defensible trade, and I'm kind of okay with what I've seen from Dalton. That's kind of the player I thought he'd be. I think he might get a little better again because he's younger. I'm surprised, given what we've seen now, what we've seen now, I should say, that the Jays were so quick to tell him to throw the catcher's gear away. Hmm. That, I think, is a decision that may come back and hurt them. Uh, Would Danny Jansen hurt? Do you think he'll get an opportunity or no? Uh, I mean, he ha- I, I don't even know if he's caught games in spring training. No, I, I think so. I, so it, in an emergency situation, yeah, I guess you'd <laughs> use him. <laughs> but, yeah, but my... 
you know, my question is, why haven't, why wasn't he being used before? Like, why wasn't he catching in spring mm-hmm. training? Why didn't she use, move him behind the plate in a couple of blowouts early in the year? I, that is a decision that I found really puzzling at the time, given how tied in this organization is to the philosophy of having you know, maximum utility for every player, having guys that can play multiple positions. I mean, for God's sake, it's the only reason Kevin Biggio's on the team, <laughs> right? It's because he can quote-unquote play multiple positions. So I, I found that decision kind of puzzling. And I went, just to make sure that I wasn't like you know, pulling this out of you know where, I went back and looked when the trade was made. And while it was made clear that Dalton Varsha was going to be an outfielder. There was also a suggestion that catching was it was something the Jays were aware that it might it might present itself as an option for them at some point down the road. So that kind of surprises me that we haven't we haven't seen him uh, we haven't seen him catch yet and that 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 whole situation has just been kind of shoved to the side i am not sure that was the right strategic decision and you know tyler heineman is 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 okay defensively i mean he knows his way around a major league clubhouse knows his way around a lineup all that all that good stuff but i i'm yeah i'm a little surprised that that decision with Varsho was made as quickly as it was well, more to come, um, Blair and Barker, 5 p.m. today. Uh, Jeff, I appreciate you coming on this morning, and hopefully we chat with you soon. Thanks, Ailish. Thanks, Justin. Have a good day. You as well. That's Jeff Blair, sportsnet.ca columnist, and of course, co-host of Blair and Barker, now at 5 p.m., leading you into Blue Jays baseball. No Blue Jays baseball today. Um, they're off as they return home to play the Milwaukee Brewers tomorrow night. Looney Dogs at home at the Rogers Center. Uh, Kikuchi should be on the mound for that one. Well, a little air out of my sails there. Not that I want to see Matt Chapman traded. Like, I'd like to see them be a competitive team fighting for a playoff spot and maybe winning a couple rounds in the in the playoffs. Like, that's ideally what you want to see. But if this team is still fifth when the trade ro- deadline rolls around and you're looking for some spare parts, some assets to move to try and make yourself better the next season or give you some chips to play to better optimize this team moving forward, I thought Chapman might be that guy. But if it's not even going to be a top prospect for a team, for a guy who's one of the, what, 15 best hitters in the American League so far mm. this season because he's on an expiring deal? I don't know. It says something about your franchise when you don't have anything to sell off either, right? Yep. A lot of important baseball to be played uh, before this trade deadline, before this all-star break. Um, Blue Jays don't have a lot of off days, so lots of baseball to watch every day. Feels like a new story with this team. Uh, we'll take a break because we have Joe Casharo joining us on the other side, uh, senior content producer and NBA writer at the Score and Coast of Pound the Rock podcast. Huge, huge Game 7 tonight in Boston. A- insane end to Game 6. Uh, we're still working our way through the emotions of that. We'll tee up tonight um, and take a look at what's going on with the Toronto Raptors. Nick Nurse uh, pending a head coach job somewhere and the Bucks officially with Adrian Griffin, Raptors assistant coach. So where does that leave the Raptors? Who's the next fit for Raptors head coach and assistant coach? We'll go through all that with Joe and then we'll do a baby wake and rake. So you have some time to send your picks in at five ninety five ninety, and we'll tee that up at the end of the show. Everything you need to know about the Blue Jays, Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
History could be made in the NBA tonight with the Boston Celtics looking to become the first team to come all the way back from a 3-0 deficit. Of course, Miami would be part of history as well, being the first team to blow a 3-0 Oof. series lead. Kyle Lowry and Jimmy Butler. Big-time pressure for the Miami Heat. Big-time pressure for the Boston Celtics, too. And to discuss Game 7, we're bringing on our next guest, our final guest of the day, Joe Cachero, senior content producer and NBA writer at The Score and co-host of the Pound the Rock podcast. Good morning, Joey Cash. What's going on? I was going to say, big pressure for me coming in at Johnny Cash music. <laughs> big pressure always, Joey Cash. So just tell us, tell, contextualize game six for us. Like, we understand the stakes, you know, Boston coming back that the way that, the way that they have. It is a little confounding, though, because Boston's this enigma. Miami's not this great team. Like, they're not. They're, they, they're not. They're below NBA championship threshold, at least in my opinion. But that was a big-time moment with Derek White saving the Boston Celtics season. Does that go down in Celtics lore, or does this legendary franchise have too many moments for that to be, you know, an unbelievable, can't-miss, top-five Mount Rushmore, whatever you want to call it, sort of moment? I think because it's the Celtics, it's probably not as much of a surefire kind of all-time moment the way it would be for like 95% of the other franchises in the league, but it still has to be considered an all-time moment. I mean, the guy got a put back off with like literally just in the nick of time with a tenth of a second left to save their season and not only save their season and preserve like their, their run for a potential title, but also to force a game seven after they had been down three, nothing, I, and the thing is, too, it wasn't tied to up. It was down one to up. Like, they were losing if that does not go in. It was, mm. like, no matter how you look at it, that shot has to be considered an all-time shot, even for the Celtics. So is Miami Cook now? Uh, like, obviously, it's demoralizing to lose three straight games and to still have a chance to win, I guess, gives you hope. But it seems like this is going to be difficult to come back from just because Boston has belief and maybe they finally have uh, the recipe to beat you. But it also seems like the tank might be uh, running empty. The reserve is running low as well for this Miami Heat team that just might not have enough to get over the line here. You know, if it was any other team, I would agree and say there is no way they can win tonight. Like, if, if any other team blew a 3 nothing lead and then lost game six in that fashion at home, like where they were a tenth of a second away from getting to the finals, thinking it was finally all over, and that, like having to immediately regroup and then think about a game seven back in Boston, which that's the other thing, too. It's like the Celtics are the fourth team out of 151 to go down 3 nothing in the NBA to force a Game 7, but they're the first that are going to have that Game 7 at home. Mm. So, like, if, if you're Miami, everything they've now gone through, the way they lost Game 6, they're an 8 seed. I would agree. It'd be like, they are cooked. There is no way they are mentally recovering for tonight. But it is Miami, and it is Jimmy Butler, and it is Coach Spolstra, and it is everything that goes with Heat culture, and they've been as resilient as any team over the last few years. So, as much as it seems like they should be done, I also feel like if any team would just bounce back from this and win game seven on the road in Boston, it's this Heat team. So what's the game plan for the Heat coming into tonight? Like, what, what are they, other than just will it to happen, uh, you know, just ignore the outside noise and the fact that it's 150 team, 150 to zero has been the, the comeback ratio for this. Like, what's the game plan if Miami is to win? I think they're going to get Bam out of bio going. I mean, like we can say Jimmy Butler's going to get going because he was ho horrible shooting the ball last game too. But I feel like with Jimmy, you know, 
the type of player he is. Like the the the, the ball's either going to go in or it's not, but he's going to find a way to impact the game. Bam Adebayo is the one I think they really have to get going. He's really struggled offensively the last few games. Has looked really limited, and he is a big hub for them. Like he. You know, Jimmy Butler handles the ball more than anyone on the offense, but Bam is kind of this big playmaking hub from the center of the floor. And if he's being neutralized, it does really impact their offense, which is already the type of offense that struggles to score to begin with. It's honestly not unlike, you know, if, if people watch the Raptors this year, like they, it was really tough for Miami to manufacture points in the half court if they weren't getting out in transition, but a lot of it did come through Bam Adebayo's playmaking in addition to Jimmy Butler. So I think they need to get Bam going and find a way to kind of counter what Boston's doing to slow him. Hope Jimmy Butler is just Jimmy Butler. And then a part of it, too, is just the shooting variance that they, you know, as simple as it sounds, just have to hope kind of goes back in their favor. The first three games of the series when Boston lost all three, I think Boston shot 29% from three. And since then Boston's shooting 40% from three. And like, you know, most data suggests like you can, you can defend a three pointer as well as you want, but for the most part, three point shooting comes down to like variance. And there's not really much a defense can do to affect that other than the looks they're giving up. So at some point it's like, it's either going to even out or the Celtics are just going to keep shooting their way past the heat. Uh, last one about this series before we chat about some Toronto Raptors. Uh, Raptors adjacent is it's Kyle Lowry, of course, in this series, kind of look like a shell of himself. Um, yeah. t- tough to watch, Kyle Lowry. I mean, Justin and I, maybe we felt on different sides of that, but equation of just seeing we want him to have success, but also, you know, it's a, it's a different team. Yeah. Um, I don't know yeah. where you fall on that one, but it, it's tough to see him playing limited minutes and, and not being a contributor um, in this series. Yeah, it is. It's it's really sobering and kind of like, you know, the the reminder about father time being undefeated because the thing with Lowry too is even even in his Raptors days, like if he was having a bad shooting night, Kyle Lowry did so many things on the court to help a team win, to contribute to winning. It's why, you know, plus minus isn't always the great stat, but with Lowry, it was really fitting that when he was with the Raptors, like he could be seemingly having a bad night scoring the ball, whatever. And then you look at the plus minus, like, oh, you know, the Raptors lost by six, but Kyle Lowry was a plus 10 somehow still. Like he just contributed to winning because his IQ was still there and his instincts and everything. And I think the thing that's kind of really been jarring to me as his physical limitations are starting to show is I guess maybe because he's not playing at the same speed, because he's half a step behind, like the IQ plays aren't there anymore. There was a play in, I think it was game five, when the Heat were starting to rally and maybe make a game of it, and Lowry got the ball and went out on a fast break, and everyone kind of caught up to him. And then he threw a pass while in midair, but he threw it backwards as he was kind of tumbling out of bounds. And it was like an easy turnover and the Celtics turned it around for two points. And to me, that was the ultimate, like, oh man, Kyle's getting old and this is hard to watch because that was the type of play he never makes before. Like he does not get caught in midair under the basket, have to throw it backwards to rescue himself. Like he just doesn't do that because he's one of the smartest players in the league. And then to kind of, it's, it's like a small play in the grand scheme of things, but it was a reminder of like, oh, like, I don't know how much longer Kyle can keep doing this. And that is sad, just given the fact that, you know, we saw his best years here and you kind of hope those guys for, can play forever, but we know they can't. Uh, Joe Cachero, the score on the line. Uh, let's pivot to the Raptors, as Ailish mentioned. Uh, it seems like they're in no rush to, you know, make uh, to make the additions that they need to make to their front office and coaching staff. Why do you think that is? 
I think it's in a way because they don't have to. Um, I think they, you know, want to make sure someone's in place by the draft for sure. And maybe for part of the pre-draft process with the workouts and stuff. But I also think there's a, probably a reality to it too, where it's like, you know, there are some win now championship contender types with openings that maybe the Raptors want to see how those get filled and know that those are going to be filled first because those are the top jobs on the market. Um, But I also think, Look, it could be because, and this is not coming from a, a source perspective, but if you just kind of read the tealies and using my perspective, I'd say it could be because more so that the guy they want, the guy or girl, the woman they want, isn't available at the very moment as opposed to them just choosing to wait this long. And what I mean by that is, okay, like there's been rumors linking them to former assistant uh, Sergio Scariolo, an Italian coach who coaches in Italy, also coaches the Spanish national team. His team in Italy right now is playing in their playoffs. Chris Quinn is someone that's been rumored for the Raptors job, but in general to be a candidate for some jobs around the league he's an assistant with the heat right now um david adelman the son of former nba coach i don't know if you remember him rick adelman coached the mm-hmm. kings for a while coached the rockets his son is an assistant in denver right so I, i'm not saying it's gonna be one of those guys but i do think it's possible that perhaps the person they want is still coaching right now and that's the reason this has taken so long as opposed to the raptors sitting there saying, you know what, we don't have to rush this. We can take all day. So the Milwaukee Bucks uh, hired Raptors assistant coach Adrian Griffin this past weekend. Um, he's been four years as Nick Nurse's top assistant with the Raptors. Obviously, you've covered him uh, closely. Uh, good hire for the Bucks. So what are they getting in Griffin? And then I guess uh, second question is, where do you think Nick Nurse is going to end up? I mean, it, it seems like a good hire on his face. I always struggle with assistants that become head coaches just because it's, you know, with, with someone that's been a head coach before, you can at least look at their record, but also kind of you can go look at like how the team played when they were under them and, and kind of figure out what style this coach likes. With with an assistant, I find it's hard because you don't really know what they did in the in the last job. I know with Adrian Griffin, he was tasked with a lot of Raptors defensive responsibilities, but Nick Nurse also let his assistants kind of do a bit of everything. So, you know, it's not like I can sit here and say, okay, here's what Adrian Griffin will definitely bring to the Bucks. Seems like a defensive mind, so maybe that. Um, but he, he did definitely have a lot of the players' support and respect in Toronto. All the reports suggest that uh, he was Giannis Antetokounmpo's first choice out of the guys that made it to the kind of uh, final phase of the search in Milwaukee. So seems like a good hire for Milwaukee and definitely a great landing spot for Griffin. I mean, how many times do we see first-time head coaches get a crappier job where the team is a lot (laughs) further from winning? And in Adrian Griffin's um, case, yeah, his first head coaching gig is going to be a – an immediate championship contender with an MVP level superstar who reportedly supported him getting the job. Uh, I don't know if we've been inundated by Raptors rumors at this point yet, but there are things that are people that people are talking about around the league and the Raptors do need to do something you would think to shake things up just a little bit or risk, you know, just losing some talent here or overpaying some of their existing talent. Is there anything that you've heard this offseason that intrigues you uh, about what the Raptors could do to actually shake things up and, and bring a different look next year? I think the the one that probably intrigues me the most is some of the rumors out there about you know whether they would put Siakam on the table to move up, you know Siakam or one of the other big money vets 
on the table to move up in the draft, whether it's Portland at three, Houston at four. Now, I'm not sure they can necessarily pull that off. Like in, in the Portland scenario that everyone seems to bring up for the number three pick, the Blazers, unless they're giving up Anthony Simons and that pick, can't get there from a salary matching perspective. And I don't really know how much Portland wants to give up to get Siakam, but that's the kind of move that intrigues me because if they're really looking to shake things up, like that's the kind of thing you would have to do. And I'm not even saying it would necessarily be a good deal because I'd have to see what the return is, but that's the kind of deal where like, if they're really looking to shake things up, maybe alter their timeline, kind of shift to a longer timeline, look at this as more of a longer rebuild. That's the kind of move that I think um, makes sense, or at least intrigues me in them trying to do that. And also I realized I didn't answer Alicia's second question about Nick nurse. Uh, And I would say, If if I had to guess, I would say Philly, Mm. just because with Milwaukee off the table now, a lot of the reports out of Phoenix are that they like uh, one of their own assistants, Kevin Young, I believe his name is, and all the reports that Devin Booker actually wants him to get promoted. So perhaps Philly just kind of ends up being, and and also the reports that Nick pulled himself out of the Milwaukee job makes me think that one of the other win now jobs is more to his liking. Um, and I just think that would be the most hilarious thing. Cause I've actually been joking since April, March or April, when I can't remember the last time indeed took one of his usual, just like random shots at nurse in a game that yes. had nothing to do with the Raptors. <laughs> and I said at the time, Oh, I'm like, wouldn't this be hilarious oh, if yeah. this ends with Nick nurse coaching him in six months, once the Sixers do what they usually do in the playoffs and Doc Rivers gets fired. And the timeline would behold, be crazy. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. Um, all right, quickly, who's joining the nuggets in the NBA final? <laughs> you know what? I'm going off the board. What the heck? I'm going to say Miami gets it. Right. I know it makes no sense. Like I was saying, I know like any other team you'd think, they must be shell-shocked. They're going to lose by 40 tonight in Boston, but Miami, for whatever reason, seems to thrive in moments like this when they should be uncomfortable. You can't make them uncomfortable. Jimmy will bounce back. Okay. Coach Spo will have a great game plan. The Heat are going to find a way to do this. All right, you heard it here first. Uh, I, I hope you're right because we're going to put some money on our Awake and Rake um, betting segment next, <laughs> and we might have to take your pick for it. Uh, thanks for joining us this morning. Enjoy tonight's Game 7. You too. Thanks for having me. That's Joe Cacharo, senior content producer and NBA writer at The Score and host of the Pound the Rock podcast. All right, let's get to that Wake and Rake. Wake up! Now it's time for Wake and Rake. You could be raking in the dough with your kind of accuracy. Show me the money! With Ailish and Justin. You're the futures guy, but I'm taking your cap today. Oh, what do you got? If you think the Miami Heat are going to win tonight, and it is a game seven, anything can happen, they're plus 1,600 to win the championship. Whereas the Nuggets are minus 152 and Celtics plus 125. I'm just saying there's a little value there. Really? Minus 152 only for Denver. I think Denver is going to work whoever they gets They might, there. but if you can will yourself through a game seven and then it's just a two-team match there, Miami Heat plus 1600, I'm just I saying. W- it's I interesting. W- I, to your point, I would rather play the 1600 than for them to win tonight. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, for them to win tonight, <laughs> that is... Uh, and then I'll play against them in the NBA final. Plus 245 to win tonight. So your wake and rake selection is you're going to tonight's game seven. I don't know now. And I'm a little, now I'm oh. a little nervous after Joey Cash called uh, the Miami Heat. I, I, I kind of think the contrary. I, I think the Boston Celtics are great story. Kinda, I think they might run them out of the gym tonight um, with history at stake with, again, I think the reserve tank is emptying for the Miami Heat. 
Jimmy Butler hasn't looked as good these past couple games. He's got he's got a lot to deal with in terms of hey, he's guaranteeing victories. He's doing the timeout in front of Al Horford. <laughs> Things may the walls may be closing in on Jimmy just a little bit, and I feel like he's running out of support. Bam Adebayo has looked terrible at times in this series. I'm going to take the Boston Celtics to okay. win pretty comfortably minus seven, minus one fifteen. All right, uh, you think that the story will write itself, and I I look forward to it because that would be a good one. But I kind of feel a little heat vibe um let's go to the wake and rake submissions um i'll just give you mine quickly i'm going to do the braves on the run line over the uh, oakland athletics i talked about them in the losers category they are maybe the worst baseball team to ever hit the field um this may be the new hall of fame pick like whenever you and i are in doubt we just, just bet there. against the a's on the so run let's line. try it braves are a good team a's are historically one of the worst so braves on the run line um let's go through some picks here including neil from newfoundland will and niagara says take miami with the points <laughs> i like how neil gets a little extra on his introduction uh good morning this is ron and jules ron likes the golden knights to win on the money line we haven't touched on that as much at least certainly not in the wake and rake while jules has the heat to cover plus seven i like that okay. i like that a lot um good morning guys been a while but here we go with the french open pick for today Jan, or it's probably Jan, Leonard Struff to beat Yuri Lehechka. Here we go again on the money line. Struff has skyrocketed up the rankings this year. He's taken out big names on the clay in the last few months. Am I right? Lehechka. Lehechka. I think you got it. Uh, It's hit a roadblock in the last month. Anyway, Struff, money line. That's Neil in Newfoundland. Welcome back. Neil in Newfoundland, of course, picked some of the names for me. (laughs) You asked for the pick, and now you have to pronounce it. I'm good with it. Um, And last one here. Good morning, Justin and Ailish back from Japan. On vacation this past month, it's Courier Chris from Burlington. Uh, he's going NBA. He's rooting for the Heat to make the finals, but he's going Jason Tatum over 30 and a half points. As he tends to go off in Game 7 scenarios. Good to have a reputation like that. Yeah, you tend to go off in Game 7. Yeah, like clutch, clutch, clutch. Um, okay, I think we got to go Neil Newfoundland. Like, we waited years for him. Okay. Yuri Lehetka. Struff has the stuff today. That's what we're going yes, for. Yeah, so over Yuri Lehetka. Struff money line. Struff. Struff's an easy one to say. <laughs> you didn't have to say left. I'm Lachka. trying to redeem myself, but okay. uh, Struff on the money line in today's French Open. Atlanta Braves minus one and a half on the run line over the A's. And Justin's got Celtics on the spread. At... Which is against Will and Niagara and Jules. Wow, it's I put it brutal. in, so apologies. Um, okay, plus 425 for today's wake and rake. Whew. That's a good one. Good to have Neil back in the mix. Um, I just wanted to read one thing for you about we are soliciting um, suggestions for a golf bet for between us. Um, hey, Elish, can't remember the name of the game, but you and whoever you play with come up with a bet, say 20 bucks. The first person to three putt owes 80 to the winner at the end of the round. No, uh, but if someone else three putts, the money gets past them. So three putting being our mm. great. After I said I couldn't not three putt, I don't like three, that one. Three Thanks. putting is the worst, uh, or that's like terrible as a group if you're not really good because then you're forcing everyone to make two footers and it's just like it's just you know. And I also there's got to be some gimmies and the queen around of three putts. So I don't some know if I love that between one. Between friends is a nice thing. Uh, one last one here before we sign off. Not sure what the bet should be for Wednesday, but if Justin loses, he should dress in a hot dog suit for the game June sixth, Looney Dogs night. We've got a suit for him, Ryan, and the Looney Dog Kings. I, unlike others, don't don't steal your pit, Sailor Show. No, I would it. share it with you if you lose. Um, all right. Well, it is Looney Dogs tomorrow. We'll be back to break down Game Six of the NHL Final. Uh, can the Golden Knights do it? Uh, game seven of the NBA. Anyone can win that one, but you think Celtics? I think maybe Heat. And we'll go through all that. Blue Jays back in action tomorrow night on off day. They host the Milwaukee Brewers tomorrow night. We'll be back on Tuesday.